reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, beginning with verse 22. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You'll notice that in your bulletin there's a Another strange title. I seem to be on a roll with that lately. This one has a blank in there. And you know how that goes. You've all taken those fill-in-the-blank tests where you write in the answer that you seem to best fit. And today the question we seek is, whose name should go in that blank? For instance, if we were to do this as just an example, we might say that we're here today because blank is good. Now, we might be tempted to say, I'm here today because I'm good, right? I'm doing the right thing. I'm here today because I'm supposed to be. I'm doing good. But the truth is, we're here today because God is good. That's why we're compelled to be here, because we know of the goodness of God. Names are a kind of fleeting thing. My dad loves to know the name of every little bird or oak tree, and I just really don't care. I say, Dad, it's a bird. It's a tree. (laughs) But I know that names mean something, and you've all heard of famous instances of that. Like you might remember a line from a famous play that goes like this. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. If you had any high school literature at all, you've heard that before. That line spoken by William Shakespeare's character, Juliet. Juliet was of the house of Capulet. Romeo, her love, was of the house of Montague. Their fathers were sworn enemies. Juliet's point is that what matters is what something is, not what it's called. Some say that Shakespeare was taking a jab at his rival theater called the Rose Theater, who was known to have disastrous plumbing that backed up all the time. Basically what he was saying is that the rose by any other name would still smell bad. He was taking a jab at them in his play. 
The flower that we call a rose certainly would smell just as sweet if we called it a carnation, wouldn't it? It would still be just as beautiful. Its petals would still be just as beautiful. Even if we called it a turkey, we would still understand what it is by our experience of it. But sometimes it's not just the name of a thing that changes, particularly with people. Sometimes a change of name is necessary in order to reflect a certain change, such as a change in relationship. How many of y'all have known somebody got married? Just all of you. Y'all don't want to play today? Everybody here has known somebody that got married. And most of us have heard somebody say about them, Who was she? Right? Who was she? And it sounds like the poor girl just died. She got married and she stopped existing. And everybody wants to know, well, who was she? But what we mean by that is who was her mom and daddy, right? We're trying to identify her because her name has changed. We don't know who she was because we just met her. If it's the man that we know who got married. Not every generation does that. Mostly the generation ahead of mine wants to know, well, who was she? Some will answer, well, she was a smith. Then some will say, well, who was her mom and daddy? And some will, what did she do? Where did she come from? And as a seeking to understand what's behind the name that they've received. The custom of changing a name is meant to reflect a new relationship. That, dear ones, is what happened to Jacob. He had his name changed to reflect a new relationship. Not just his commitment to God, but God's commitment to him. We make the mistake sometimes of thinking that it's just the bride that gives herself to the groom and that's why she changes her name. But it's the groom who gives himself to the bride as well or the marriage can't survive. The name change reflects both that the two are locked together. But we should note that the text doesn't tell us that Jacob had a sudden change of heart, that he repented of all his deceptions. He just finished deceiving his father-in-law Laban. He certainly wasn't perfect, but he had waited until his father-in-law told, till God told him that he could leave his father-in-law to leave. And he, entered, he has this experience with God on the way. This is not his first experience with God. The problem with Jacob is that his loyalty to God, to the God of Abraham and the God of his father Isaac, was not based on the idea that he might serve God, but that if he was loyal enough, God would serve him. Listen to Jacob's oath that he made to God. He said, if God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. In other words, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll follow you. But we're told that on that same occasion of the dream, on that same occasion when Jacob made an oath to God, God made an oath to Jacob, and God's oath sounded like this. I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you live, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and south. 
And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. What we hear in God's oath is God choosing Jacob. Not putting stipulations on him, not saying, Jacob, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, but God absolutely and unflinchingly choosing Jacob. I will be your God. I will keep you. I will bless all peoples through you. God promised to sustain Jacob and keep him until he returned to the land. And in the text today, Jacob's name is changed, not solely based on his encounter with God, but based on having been chosen by God, despite his character, despite who he was. Like I said, we're not here today because we're good. We're here because God is good. Jacob had not changed, but Jacob's relationship to God had changed. Jacob was no longer a child born into a covenant. He was the person of the covenant. He was now the one that God had made a covenant with. His relationship with God had changed. Therefore, God changed his name to Israel. One who struggles with God. One who wrestles with God. One who strives alongside of God. Jacob had left his father to seek a wife. And on his way home, back into the land that God had promised, God met him again and changed his name and called him to live up to the promise, to live into it, and to be one who wrestles with God. God appeared to Jacob and took hold of him. And when Jacob realized that the person he was wrestling with wasn't going to let go, he asked him for his blessing. After his opponent struck his hip, he knew something was different about this one he wrestled with. He was holding on, wanting his opponent's blessing. Jacob refused to give up. So we might could put Jacob's name in our blank. Jacob wouldn't give up. He wanted the blessing. But there's another option. There's another person in the story. It's God Almighty. Perhaps God's name belongs in that blank. Jacob's character might reveal that to us, and also just the nature of wrestling might reveal that to us. Jacob got his name by wrestling with Esau in his mother's womb. Jacob had already been a wrestler. That's why his name meant struggles with God and with men. Jacob, we're told, wrestled with his brother in the womb that he grabbed his foot as his brother left the womb. They jostled each other. His name meant deceiver. And he lived up to that for most of his life that we have recorded. His character was not what earned him a name change. God chose him despite his character to stand by Jacob.
A great medieval Jewish commentator said this about wrestling, about this text. It's the habit of two people who make strong efforts to throw each other down, that one embraces the other and attaches himself to him with his arms. If you've ever wrestled with anyone, you know that's true. That in order to wrestle with someone, we have to take hold of them and clench them and struggle with them and strive with them. That's the nature of wrestling. It's a form of relationship. Struggle is often how we learn one another. Some of my best friends were people I got in fights with in elementary and middle school. What about you? People that I had known in that intimate way of struggle. And here's the truth. Jacob could not have struggled with God if God had not been willing to struggle with Jacob. Jacob could not have taken hold of God if God had not been willing to take hold of Jacob. And so we realize that God did not give up either. That in all of Jacob's deceitfulness and all of his character flaws and all of the ways that he cheated people and sought to get ahead through unscrupulous means, that God did not say, I will not choose him any longer. God did not cast him away. God did not look upon him and say, he's unusable to me. God did not look upon him and say, he's trash. God did not look upon him and say, he doesn't matter. God looked upon him and said, I will struggle with him. God wouldn't give up on Jacob. Now, we might read Jacob's story and think, well, pastor, I would never be as bad as Jacob. But we've all struggled. We all struggle in our faith. There are days when we don't feel like we're the person God is calling us to be. To say so would make us liars. The Bible tells us if we say that we're without sin, we lie. We mock God, and not only that, we make God out to be a liar. If we were all honest with ourselves, we would say that we all struggle with God, that we all wrestle with God, that we all struggle to be who God wants us to be. That sometimes we care more about stuff than we care about people. We care more about ourselves than we care about God. Sometimes our first inclination is to be all about me. And we might realize that we're more like Jacob than we want to think. And here's the good news. If God wouldn't give up on Jacob, can we trust that God won't give up on us? What do you think, church? Can we trust that? If God wouldn't give up on Jacob, if God wouldn't say, this man ain't worth nothing, I'm throwing him away, I can't do nothing with him, then surely God won't give up on us either. You might have come here today absolutely feeling like you're the worst person in the world. It happens to us. I think as Christians, we are more affected by our own sin than people who don't care if they sin or not. I have days where it's hard for me to walk up here. George Pearson, bless his heart, like four weeks after I came here, came up to me, Kathy, and he said, David, you don't have to wear that thing for us. And I said, George, I ain't wearing it for you. It's so I can get up there. I have days where I need to put this on to remind me that God has called me to stand before you and that's why I'm up here. Not because I'm good or who I am, but because of who God is. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be reminded that God can use me despite my failures. Despite all those things in me that I wish weren't so. If God won't give up on Jacob, if God refused to give up on Jacob, surely God won't give up on us. And as we struggle, we can be comforted to know that God is with us. You might say, well, Pastor, God did say to Jacob, let me go. But that was to protect Jacob from seeing him. The text does not tell us that God departed from Jacob, does it? Yet God continued in His promise to Jacob to be with him. And dear ones, God is with us. As we'll say in a few moments in the liturgy, even when our love failed, God's love remained steadfast. God will not give up on us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.